0: Good morning. Thanks for having me. My name, for those who don't know, I think most everybody does. My name is Jacob Hantla. I'm uh, one of the pastor elders here at Grace. And uh, it is my privilege this morning to open God's word and go to the Wellspring verse, Proverbs 4.23. Uh, At the top of your notes, you see a couple pithy quotes by Charles Bridges that talks about why it's important to guard your heart. We just heard why it's important to guard your heart. You're going to hear for an hour why it's important to guard your heart. You're going to hear that every day in Wellspring and hopefully hear it from your own brain informing your heart every day as you seek to shepherd your heart. It's important to guard your heart. It's easy to grow comfortable with well-known truths fight today to not let that happen I'm going to address that again later but let's I'll just read these these quotes by Charles Bridges about the importance of heart guarding if the citadel it's the uh, the place where the guard would be if the citadel is taken the whole town must surrender if the heart be seized to the whole man The affections, desires, motives, pursuits, all will be yielded up. The heart, the citadel of man, or the wellspring of man, the seat of his dearest treasures. It is fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's pray. God I, I beg that as we have your word open in front of us I pray that my words would be reflective of your words please guard guide my words reveal yourself to us through your word and, and cause us to worship you where sin is revealed lead us to repentance confession God, where we see evidence that your Holy Spirit has been at work in our hearts to make us new and to sanctify us, I pray that we would be thankful and not take an ounce of that credit on, on ourselves, that you would have the glory. God, these are your words contained in Scripture. I pray that we would approach them with a humble, submissive posture, that we would listen carefully, Holy Spirit, please transform us, sanctify us. God, I pray especially for me. These are words that I am comfortable with speaking. I've taught them many times. And I need them this morning. I need them every day. Um, God, I, I pray that you would guard me from being a hypocrite. I pray for the hearers, that those who've, who've never heard this would would be informed, would be changed, and for those who are hearing this for the tenth, twelfth, fifteenth time, however many, God, that uh, familiarity uh, wouldn't breed complacency, uh, but but that that knowledge would only empower them better to glorify you through Heart Garden. In Jesus' name and in dependence on you, we pray. Amen. So. In Pro- Proverbs 4:23 it's a really simple verse that's going to be the outline for the sermon. if you, if you look at it there's a what, a why and a how. Pretty easy outline. So, so the what is the command and you can see this on page one middle of your notes. Uh, the verb of the command can be translated either keep or watch or guard. And the object of that keeping, guarding, watching is the heart. Um, So that is the command of the passage. And then there's a modifier that describes how one is to keep, guard, watch the heart. And that's the, the how. And that can be translated with all vigilance. Some take that idea and translate it above all else. Or with all diligence, regardless, you can see that this is a a pretty important command that we ought to follow uh, with more than more more than a passive manner, uh, even more important than all of the other commands in Scripture, or maybe better said, rather than more important, but in all of the other commands of Scripture, as you keep all of God's commands, as you live life to glorify God, this heart guarding must be present. And then there's a reason given, and that reason is because from the heart flow the springs of life, or the heart is the wellspring of life. It's the source of life. And so that is the verse. There's a what, a why, and a how, and that's going to be our our outline for the message. But we're going to back into it. We're going to start with the why. If we can understand the why, the rest of it will flow naturally. So let's let's slow down, let's focus on, on the why. Why must we guard our heart? If you're not convinced of the importance of something, you likely won't do it. And if you're not doing something, it it reveals how important you think it is. Right? If you wake up in the morning and you don't read God's word, it reveals something, regardless of the words you say, God's word is really important. If you wake up and go about your day without reading God's word, that reveals something about what you think about God's word. Um, If we can go about our day without guarding our hearts, it reveals what you actually think about your heart and about the importance of this task. So before we go into the command and try to convince you of or try to maybe dig into some details about the the how or, or even the what, let's get the why. Why must we guard our hearts? Well, because it's the well or the source from which all other behaviors spring. That's why we call Wellspring, Wellspring. Every time you say the ministry name, Wellspring, pause for half a second and say, why do we call it that? Okay, because my heart is, is where everything comes from. When I say something, when I do something, when I think something, that came from the most inner me. There's no disconnect from what you do and who you are. Have you ever sinned and thought, well, that didn't seem like me. Where did that come from? Right, You get angry, frustrated with your kids. Of lustful a prideful an arrogant a selfish thought enters your mind and you're startled by it you're like where did that come from that's not me it is that came from your heart Um, everything that you do say think flows from the most inner you from your heart good or bad And so the inspired Solomon gives this profound illustration of your life. You can think of everything that you do, say, think as water flowing from a common source. So there is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or put another way, there is no part of your life that your heart does not affect. Get there's no part of your life that doesn't flow from your heart, and there's no part of your life that is unaffected by your heart. Maybe a third observation from the simple truth is the character of your life reveals the nature of your heart. I'm going to say those three things again. There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. There is no part of your life that your heart does not affect. And the character of your life reveals the nature of your heart. If those things are true, the purity of your heart is of utmost importance. The character and nature of your heart is of utmost importance. So the image is is of a city's vital water source. We sometimes don't think about where our water comes from because we take it for granted. Don't take your heart for granted. Pure water at the source can provide everyone in the city with pure water. But if the source is contaminated, there's no hope for pure water. So imagine, especially in ancient Israel or anywhere in the ancient world where, where you were dependent on a well for a water source, you didn't have water treatment plants, you would be always aware of the quality of that water and the quality of the water would affect the the nature of life in the city. If the source is contaminated, there would be no hope for pure water. And that's a, a problem for humans because the Bible describes our heart, our natural heart, our life source in some pretty unflattering terms. I know this is a review from what Smed went over. Bear with me. Consider Jeremiah 17.9. You guys know it well. What does it say about the natural nature of the human heart? The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Open your Bibles to Genesis 6.5. <coughs> you can see the, uh, the verse at the bottom of, of page 1. Genesis 6, 5, this was before the flood, after the fall. God, who can see the heart, he saw the wickedness in man's heart, manifested in the way that mankind was living. And he was moved to kill everyone but Noah and his family. Genesis 6, 5, this is God's assessment of the natural human heart. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Why was man's? Why was what they were doing wicked? Well, it flows from their heart. He went past what they were doing and saw the source. And it says. Every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And the flood did not fix man's heart problem. Right. The flood did nothing to erase that fallen nature of the heart from mankind. Right. We've learned about that. That's it. That is the unmixed condition. There is nothing good mixed into that. And if everything that you do say think flows from your heart and your heart is wicked, sick every intention only evil continually this doesn't mean that you do as much evil as could possibly be done but that in the unmixed condition there's no good mixed in there and so every action every thought every deed flowing from that natural human heart is evil there's nothing God glorifying that will flow from this unmixed heart a poisoned well only produces poisoned water and a wicked, unrighteous heart only produces unrighteous actions. And so that's you can see a little math equation at the bottom of page one. If, if the heart is deceitful and sick, if every intention of the heart is only evil continually, if you add that truth to Proverbs 4.23, that the heart is the source of all life, you get the very natural conclusion of Romans 3.10, quoting Psalm 14. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. No one naturally has a good heart. No one does good naturally before God. We are a bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we have wicked hearts or we should say were if you're a new creature that is the description of unregenerate man living in an unmixed sinful condition but remember god does not leave the christian in this condition speaking of the new covenant with israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. Jesus calls our mind to this new covenant every time we take the Lord's Supper. God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, this should be top of page two in your notes. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. Worship as you read this. I I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules, cause you to do the things that you could not do with that old heart. God promised Israel that one day he would give them all a heart transplant. That would be their only hope for cleaning. It hasn't happened for all of Israel yet, but it is what God does for every Christian he saves. This is really vivid imagery. Uh, I try, I try to explain it every year, how cool I think it is, because I, I see, I, I work with hearts every day. That's my job, I, I cardiac anesthesia, and I, I regularly see hard hearts, physical hearts, that whether it's viral cardiomyopathy or ischemic cardiomyopathy, you have something that's damaged the heart, and it, as a result, it, it actually gets hard. It can't fill with blood when it comes in it doesn't pump vigorously when the blood comes or when it's trying to pump blood stagnates and what flows from the heart doesn't look like life it looks like death kidneys start failing minds start fogging muscles don't have the energy to work Uh, a body looks like the heart you can tell sort of the quality of the heart by looking at the quality of life that somebody lives but then You take somebody whose body was full of of death, their kidneys weren't working, their liver failure, ascites, just muscle atrophy, wasting, uh, cognitive impairment, transplant a heart, give them a heart transplant, and instantly, close to instantly, in, in close succession, that they look new. Their, their minds are renewed. Their kidneys start to function. Their muscles can grow. They get renewed energy, renewed life. They get a heart transplant. And dying organs are reju- rejuvenated by new blood flow. That illustration falls short. But it's helpful. What, what Jesus does by his blood, what God does for the new creature when he gives you a new heart, takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh is more miraculous, more changing It, because it, that old heart for the dying person wasn't all dead your heart was the new heart isn't it's new it, it'll fail again your new heart won't But the change is remarkable when somebody gets a heart transplant, and the change in the Christian is even more remarkable than that. The recipient of a heart transplant, a physical heart transplant, ought to be reminded every day when they hear the beating of their heart, I have something to be thankful for. I want to honor the donor of this new heart with the way that I live. I don't want to take this new heart for granted because I know what life was like when I I had that broken down one. I don't want to ruin this one. They can't earn it, right? They did nothing to earn that heart that somebody gave them, but, but they're going to protect it a little better than they did their first one probably because they knew what it was like to have a broken down heart christian you had an old dead heart of stone and god gave you a new heart of flesh you were born again john 3 3 you're a new creation second corinthians 5 17 you were dead and God made you alive together with Christ For by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2. At regeneration, God declared us righteous and changed us from the heart so that for the first time you would have the ability to obey God from the heart. As Melissa said, it would be impossible command to tell somebody with this old unmixed heart say shepherd your heart guard your heart from what it's filled with wickedness You, you can't but now for the first time with new hearts Christian you have the ability to guard your heart you're able not to sin You are able to please God. You are able to shepherd your heart from sin to God. You've been declared righteous in justification, and you've been set on a trajectory to increasingly live out righteousness through sanctification. All from God, not of works, so that no man can boast. We used to be slaves of sin because our heart was sinful. We were free to do whatever we wanted to do, but all that we wanted to do was only sinful. You were a slave to the nature of your heart, which was only evil continually. You used to be obedient from the heart, but Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done. Turn there. Romans 6.17. Thanks be to God, Paul starts. And as I read, praise and thank God for this. Don't let that thanks be to God be a throwaway phrase. I've said it before today, don't let familiarity rob you of the opportunity to worship. We sometimes aren't thankful as we should be for things that we're familiar with. I've heard it said, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay don't let that happen before this glorious truth of the gospel fight today and every day to let these blazing hot magnificent truths of God's word soften you in worship and obedience and glorifying God instead of hardening you by familiarity Back to Romans 6, 17. Mm -hmm. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin and now we understand why you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, how did that happen? New heart. You have become slaves to righteousness John Flavel, the 17th century Puritan, said it well. His book was the book of the month a few months ago, Keeping the Heart. If you read it, you can see I I just stole a lot of his stuff in this message. It's, It's good. He said it well. The heart of man is his worst part before salvation. It's his best part after it. It's not perfect. We're still mixed. But it was your worst part before salvation. It's the best part after it because it's been made new. Praise and thank God for that. So Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives. And that would be horrible news if it wasn't for this great news, the gospel. That God changed you and made you new from the heart. Let everything that you resolve to do sit under the shadow of that massive truth of the gospel. You didn't earn that new heart. You began by the spirit. Right? Galatians 3. You began by the spirit, by God making you new. What makes you think you're going to be perfected by the flesh? Paul told the Galatians, you foolish Galatians. That's not how this works. You were made new by grace, by God changing you from the heart by grace through faith. You will be sanctified by grace through faith, right? You don't try to clean yourself up. You couldn't change the nature of the heart. Even though you're commanded to do so, God God commands you, but then he provides what he commands. He changed your heart. And he will provide the obedience as well, flowing from indwelling Holy Spirit from this new heart by faith you don't earn God's favor by obedience and neither should you try to clean up what you do the actions your thoughts your actions your words don't focus on those externals and miss the heart and that's the that's a major take-home message from today legalism religiosity is is that cleaning up the outside missing the heart yes Jim I don't know what I said (laughs) (laughs) what was the part you were just saying excuse me about all the things the internal things like your words so if you focus on so you think of what, what were the Pharisees focusing on they cleaned, they were focusing on the externals and missed the heart. They, they refused to come. They, they, they searched the scriptures because they know in them there's eternal life, but they refused to come to Jesus that they may have life. They, were, they focused in, on tithing. Oh, we need to do exactly the right thing. I need to, oh, I better not say that word, or I better not let so-and-so hear me say that word. I better not do that thing. Not realizing, oh, that thing reflects a problem. The fact that I want to do that thing reflects a heart reality. Let me repent of that heart reality. We're going to get into, into exactly what that means, but don't focus on the externals. Don't clean the glass while the water inside is dirty. Don't whitewash your tomb while it's full of dead men's bones on the inside. We don't focus on the external behaviors merely... But we have the external behaviors glorify God because our motives of our heart are righteous, that we want to honor God from our heart. Remember, you, were, you did evil deeds because the intentions of your heart were only evil continually. Now, don't, just like Paul told the, the slaves in Colossians 3, don't serve your masters eye service, people pleasers, but serve them as if you were serving the lord from a heart that wants to honor the lord anyway we could keep going but i should probably keep moving because i have a hard time finishing the lesson as it is um, we'll, we'll get to that point imagine a city with poisoned well so back to that illustration remember the the city that was dependent on on its water source so imagine a city that had just a poison filled water source it was Filled with algae, maybe chemicals that were, that, that were poisonous. And, and that city wouldn't flourish. You, you would not get a a, huge popu- a a huge, powerful city with a flourishing populace around a, uh, a poisoned well. In fact, that city would be full of death. But then imagine that one day a king comes and provided clean water. A new wellspring. The old well was full of poison, but the new one for the first time had fresh water. Immediately the city would be made new, full of life. Those who were once weak, anemic, dying from poison would now have the taste of that which they never knew. Pure water. Just like the recipients of a heart transplant, those people would know the importance of the wellspring. They know the effects of a tainted well, but now they know the effects and the joys of purity. You know what those people would never think? Or they ought to never think. I I wonder how much poison I could let back in this well and still be okay. No, they would guard that well with all vigilance because they know that their lives, their joy depends on it Christian we are those people our hearts were unmixed in their sinfulness and you know the joylessness you know the death the misery the hopelessness that that brings you know that sin lies and then at salvation for the first time you could glorify God from the heart guard your heart. In light of this illustration, consider the quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's on the bottom of page two. This is considering the illustration of poison in the water. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters it stays not there, but it diffuses itself all over the body and it doesn't stop until it is infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another and from the body to the soul till it is infected the whole man and then from man to man, man, to man till, the whole, to, till the whole family. And it stays not there, but runs like a wildfire from family to family till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. The poison of sin won't be content to stay in your heart. It will seek to destroy you. Then your home then your ministry and your small group in this church. Do you see the build discipline or the wellspring disciplines here? This is why guarding your heart, shepherding your heart is discipline one. Because all else will be futile if you're not doing that. All else will be impossible if you're not doing that. And if you don't do that, the fruit, if you're minister, if you're working in your home, serving your home, Or working in the church from an unguarded heart that's content to be filled with the poison of sin. What's the outcome going to be in your home in the ministry? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So the truth that the heart is the wellspring of life, it leads very naturally to Solomon's command. The what at the beginning of Proverbs 423 we couldn't help but accidentally go there as you talk about the importance that the heart is the wellspring the natural implication if you get a new one is guard it watch it keep it notice with me that in proverbs 423 that verb guard watch keep it's an imperative it's not passive It's not optional, it's active and it's commanded. The the Hebrew word here is the same as is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an alert sentry on a watchtower. Sometimes it's actually even used to describe the watchtower. Guarding valuable resources. In a city dependent on a pure water source would obviously place sentries, guards, around the spring to protect the purity of water especially if they were at war we're at war you're at war with your flesh Satan prowls prowls around like a, a roaring lion seeking who he may destroy the world hates the God who saved you You have enemies within, you have enemies without. When you leave your home, you will be bombarded with messages, with worldviews, maybe even with trials, superintended by God to test your faith, but having a very real possibility of, of making a shipwreck of them if you don't guard your heart trying to attack this wellspring. There are very real threats when you leave your home. There are very real threats when you are in your home. You don't have to leave to know that you still are in a mixed condition and you you have enough dirtiness going on in your mind that's trying to taint this heart. Guard it. So that, that might make you ask, like, Okay, I, I, know I, I know I should. What do I do? What, what is this command? How, how do I guard my heart? How do I watch my heart? Well, the guy who, who wrote this, he, Solomon, he probably heard these truths from his, his dad. You imagine, David. David effectively asked this question. How can a young man Keep his way pure. What is that effectively asking? How how can I keep my way pure? How can how can what I do be pure to the Lord? Well, well, we know the answer if we if we trace it back. It, it has to come from a pure heart. So, so how can my way be pure? How can my heart be pure? Turn to Psalm one nineteen verse nine, or you can just look at it on the top of page three. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you, God. Let me not wander from your commandments. How did David guard his heart? How does he instruct us to guard our hearts? our ways, what we do by seeking God through his word. That sounds like, oh, that's the Grace Bible Church answer. We have to read the Bible. Reading your Bible isn't guarding your heart. But you're not going to be very effective at guarding your heart without reading the Bible. But do you see what your goal is when you read the Bible? you see what your goal is when you're guarding your heart according to his word? It is, we, we talked about the sin that seeks to taint your heart, what or the, the poison that seeks to taint your heart. It is sin. You're not going to guard your heart while being content to let sin be unaddressed in your heart. But more fundamentally, more importantly than just keeping sin out, it's not like whack-a-mole of sin. Oh, when I see a sin, I whack it. You better confess and repent. And, and if you do, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Cleanse your heart. So so you better, you must confess sin and turn when you see it. Know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He will be faithful to cleanse you when you confess. But the Christian life isn't merely whack a like, I got to keep sin out. More fundamentally, it is a pursuit of God with your whole heart. It's not just what you keep out, but what you keep in. Seek God with all your heart. This should affect how you read the Bible. You're not looking for a to-do list. There will be plenty of to-dos. You will say, Wow, I, I better change the way I am parenting today. I this will change you read God's word, this will change your priorities. It will change your it'll change your life. There is a lot to do when you read God's word, but more fundamentally, there is a God that is revealed in his word. And so every day when you open God's word. I would encourage you to ask the question, what does this reveal about God and how must it affect me? Sometimes it'll be a command. Okay. God cares about this. Sometimes it'll be an attribute of God, but it's not just things to know. It's a God to know a God to be worshiped, a father. Who made you his child. The son who took your sins upon you in love. Jesus loved me. He didn't just love Christians in general. He loved you, Christian, and gave himself for you. It's a God who can't tolerate sin. Who will judge personally. Personally. Inappropriately, appropriately every sin ever committed on, on the sinner or on Jesus. It's a God who's patient. It's a God who's just. It's a God who's eternal. It's a God who's powerful. It's a God who's tender. It's a God who's self-giving. You're never going to run out of things to know about God. And more importantly than the things to know about God, yet you will never tire. You will never know too well the God who is revealed in the word. that that's, that's what we will do for all eternity is marvel at this God as we live with him for all eternity, Christian. As you guard the wellspring of your heart, you must be shepherding your heart's to the word of God. To get the God of the word. In guarding your heart. Make sure that you are not merely shepherding it. Not shepherding it at all. To pharisaical behavior focused religion. But God in the gospel. Obedience matters. Obedience matters. Confessing sin really matters. But it must flow from a heart. That wants to honor the Lord from the heart, a heart that knows the Lord, a heart that seeks the Lord like a deer wants water, like a baby cries for its mother's milk. You wake up in the morning and be like, God, if I don't have my eyes set on you today, if I don't know that you are ruling the world, that you set this race before me, whatever comes before me in my day. It was a race that was set before me by you i can trust you if you're not we could go on and on about all the things that you can learn about god any passage of scripture that's what you're going to get you're going to get god revealed and, and that will affect the way that you live that's how you guard your heart from sin to god through his word it has to start by sitting down and opening God's word, but it continues through the day. You don't read God's word to know something, check the box and say, good, that's done. But you read God's word to be able to preach a sermon to yourself when you need it. You don't know when the trial will come. You don't know what trial will come. But when it comes, you must be able to preach to yourself. God, this came by your hand. God, whatever lie sin is telling me, that it's easier, that it's better if I compromise, if I pursue sin. I know you, God, and I know that obedience is better. I know that faith is better. That that won't come by learning rules. That won't come by learning facts. That comes by knowing God. That's the goal when you open God's word, and that is how you shepherd your heart throughout the day turn to first John 3 2 through 3 with me you might hear this talk of a new heart and you look at your life and you're like, I'm really aware of a lot of sin. Yeah, there's there's evidence of a change. If you don't see evidence of a change, if you do not, if, if your Christian life has been pharisaical, behavior-focused religion, don't continue that today. Don't say, oh, I need to do better. No, no you need to repent and turn to God and say, God, I can't do anything to make myself right with you. Will you change me from the heart? Will, will you save me? Will you free me from the slavery to sin and make me your child and make me a slave to righteousness? If you realize that your heart has not been changed and, and you're here playing church or, or trying to clean up the outside and impress the women around you, make your life better but not pursuing God, just turn to him in faith. And if you're a Christian and you look at your heart and you say, I know this is true. I know I'm now in a mixed condition, but frankly, that, that statement, my heart's the best part now. I don't feel it. I want to encourage you with First John 3. John said that, remember, it starts, if, if we say that we have no sin, you deceive yourself. If, if you... I, don't, I'm, I could read all of chapter 1. I'm not going to go there because I'm running out of time. But basically, he is saying, Christian, you, your life better look like a Christian. And he says all this stuff. If you say you're a Christian, but your life doesn't look like it, you're not. And, and you're also not perfect. And by the time he hits this chapter 3, he goes, Beloved, you are God's children now. Even if it doesn't feel like it always. Because what you will be when you're in that unmixed condition, the next condition, it hasn't yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. So Christian, take heart. This mixed condition where it's hard. It won't be forever. There will be a moment when he appears and you see him as he is, and that will be the means of glorification. Do you see how that's an encouragement now? First off, this unmixed condition won't last forever. And secondly, the means of God glorifying you on that day. You see him as he is. It's not dissimilar from the way he sanctifies you now. Where do you see God most clearly now? In his word. How are you sanctified? By pursuing him, seeking him through his word. And one day you will see him as he is and that process of sanctification will be instantly culminated in glorification and that unmixed condition. So take heart now. You are his child. And you have to fight. So fight. Don't be surprised when heart shepherding, when heart guarding is a fight. You're in the mixed condition. One day it will not be. Right before you couldn't not sin now you can not sin after he comes if you're his child you won't be able to sin he'll finish the work that he began now we have hope in this passage that we are God's children now in purification heart guarding is possible hope in him flee heart contaminating sin which these verses uh, which follow this talk about just take joy as we are purified more and more into what we shall be as glorified children of God when he returns I just want to say it again you get this, the, the means of pursuing and guarding daily your purity of heart and the means of ultimate heart purification are not dissimilar, they are very similar. A pursuit of God by setting the gaze of our hearts and one day our eyes on him. Today that's primarily through his word and one day it will be face to face. So do you see how important it is to flee sin and fix the gaze of your heart hopefully on God in his word? So how must we do this? We, we talked about the why. Your heart is the wellspring of your life. The what? Because the heart is the wellspring, you must guard it. Now, now how? Not we, we, like in, in what manner? Above all else, with all diligence, with all vigilance. We have a new heart with new love and affection for God, but the flesh within, Satan and temptations without they're constantly assaulting the heart, seeking to taint it with sin. They, they don't take a moment off. So set up a guard for your heart by above all else, not being content to even let an ounce of sin in. Rather, we guard our heart by seeking God with our whole heart through his word all the time, every day, no higher priorities, no days off is there anything you do in your life with more attention than you guard your heart? The answer should be no. Is there anything you do in your life that doesn't have heart guarding as a component of it? Right? This doesn't mean don't do anything else but guard your heart. You have to live your life. But as you live it, There shouldn't be any activity that you do that is devoid of heart guarding. How does that inform your entertainment choices? Oh, I need to just take a half hour to chill. I'm going to turn off heart guarding for 30 minutes. I'll be fine. No, you won't. that city would never say I wonder how much poison they could let back in and still be okay with your whole heart not with everything except for your Netflix part you pursue God no with your whole heart you do it above all else with all vigilance not not mostly vigilance not a lot of vigilance but, but with all vigilance with all diligence what Apps do you reach for? Social media feeds, website, reading, conversations, idle thoughts. The things that you choose to do with your time will affect your heart. The things you choose to do with your time reflect the nature of your heart, right? It's a, it's a feedback. You, you look at, okay, there's nothing that I will do that doesn't affect my heart. And there's nothing that I do that doesn't flow from my heart. So as you fold the laundry, what comes out of your heart? Is it grumbling? Or is it a, I want to honor God with my whole heart as I Mimic God's self serving, self giving as I serve my family. As you discipline your children, as you prepare food, as you go to work, as you go to bed, as you exercise, as you eat, as you drink, whatever you do, it flows from your heart and it will affect your heart. So there must be nothing that you do in your life that has more, a higher priority than heart guarding. And in everything you do, there must be a very obvious presence of heart guarding. If there's something that pops into your mind right now and you're like, yeah, I don't see heart guarding in that activity or in that realm of my life. You write it down right now. Don't, it it will probably not be, you will probably not be more convicted later than you are right now. Write it down. And then when we're done, confess that to the Lord. Maybe involve somebody, a a spouse, a friend, maybe your your wellspring leader. Uh, Tell them about it and, and say, how am I going to, take this area of my life and have it reflect this reality that above all else, I must be guarding my, my heart. It's not just one task above many. It's not a suggestion. As we think about the need to diligently guard our hearts Consider the the one who wrote the book of Proverbs in this command. And I want you to know it's not enough to know that you ought to. It's not enough to know that this is important. It's not enough to use the lingo. It's not enough to be able to stand up here and teach the lesson. It's not enough for you to say, yep, I've heard this a lot of times, or I get this. I'm excited about heart guarding. I'm in Wellspring. you actually have to do it. I want to tell you it's it's usually not in the middle of a war or in a decisive battle when a when an army is defeated, when a person is defeated. If you know that there's a battle, you're gonna prepare, you're gonna be aware right like for me went. When I got lymphoma, I knew this is a battle. Like I gotta be on my guard. I gotta be guarding my heart in this. No, no grumbling. No. What about when the alarm clock goes off and I, and I want to hit snooze? It's not in the middle of a war when a person is defeated. It's, it's one tiny surrender at a time. It's a slow incremental process. You don't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to stop watching. But after incremental compromises, you might become something you never imagined you would become. You've maybe seen this in people in your life. Small compromises, years later, they don't look like the person you thought they were. Those compromises came from the heart. Those compromises affected the heart. Consider Solomon with me. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. Turn there. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, tight women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel you shall not associate with them nor shall they associate with you for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods you might want to read the first 11 chapters of first Kings it is a story of slow compromises it starts with Solomon doing well face of the trial what, what do you want Wisdom starts while he's pursuing God, and he makes little, small compromises that surely a man like him can tolerate. Let me go to Egypt to use some horses. Even though I know that God said don't do that, but it makes a lot of sense militarily. Maybe if I make an alliance with uh, Pharaoh's daughter, that'll help us. Um. Yeah, she doesn't worship Yahweh, but I'll set up a a high place for her over there. Anyway, Solomon held fast to these in love. And now you're like, whoa, this doesn't look at all like the guy who says, guard your heart. He, He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And what happened? They turned his heart away. It wasn't instant. It wasn't immediate. But when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord, his God, to Yahweh, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. David pursued God with his whole heart. That's how he kept his way pure. Not perfectly. David was in a mixed condition, too. You know that from his life. He had to confess his... That gives us hope. The man after God's own heart, he had a lot of sin to confess. But God was glorified through his life. But Solomon compromised and compromised and compromised. He knew the importance of guarding your heart. He he wrote this. But his heart was not wholly devoted to Yahweh his God as the heart of David his father had been. So I, I want to ask you a question. How how well have you been guarding your heart? Just like a city would monitor the quality of its water to say. Right, they might say, Oh, I'm pretty sure the water's doing fine. I'm not aware of any contaminants. Well, how would you know if you don't test it? They would go and they'd test the water, and they'd say, well, well, what's the the water quality look like? And when you see contaminants, now you go back and you look for where they came from. I want you to do some of the same same work here. So on the, the back of page four, it's a water purity check. And then under the title there, it says, In the shadow of the cross, if you don't watch, you will weaken. That, that's a... A quote from uh, CJ. Mahaney. At, I, won't, I won't read it, but, but the, the point is, you do this not to earn God's favor. You, you watch the wire, you, you look at, at what's going on in your life and you confess sin, you repent of sin, you pursue righteousness, not to impress God, not to earn God's favor. Not to merit anything. But because you've been changed from the heart. Because you were started out on this path by the Holy Spirit changing you, forgiving you, justifying you by Jesus' blood. And you will be sanctified by the same means, by grace, through faith. So by grace through faith because of this new heart and wanting to guard this new heart as you pursue God through his word evaluate your life check the purity of the water and where you see sin revealed confess it but then look back and say is there a source of contamination here is there something I'm doing something I'm practicing that's making me comfortable with this sin that seems to be popping up that seems to be plaguing my thinking so you can ask yourself do I usually sense a presence or absence of affection for God if you go through the day and, and, and you're not you don't have an affection for the Lord your sin is, is really attractive and you find it. it's hard work you have to sort of convince yourself again that God, God actually is that there's Maybe even just go through your day with an absence of awareness of God. You're more aware of current events in the world, the trials at home, what's going on at work, than you are of God and his sovereign rule and fatherly love for you. What is that? What might that reflect in your heart shepherding patterns and something that needs to change either in when you read God's word that you must be reading God's word and, and, and how you read God's word maybe how you remind yourself of what you've been learning throughout the day do you have an appetite for God's word if not, why? what what should change? are you daily shepherding your heart to God and his word? if not, why not? What does that reveal about your heart affections? Now, do your daily routines, entertainment choices, free time priorities, does that reflect that you're guarding your heart above all else? How do your prayers reflect your vigilance? What lures your heart away from God? How diligently do you flee this? Now, I want you to write at least three other heart purity check questions. Things that that might apply only to you, that you might only know. These should be somewhat humiliating, somewhat embarrassing, because you want something to say. Oh, when I see myself doing this, that's actually the sin that 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 plagues me the hardest. That that's the. The most challenging—it's—it's it's the, the sin that I'm most lured away from God by, or it's—it's it's the thing that I do when, when you say oh, when do I when does my faith tend to go off the rails? When do I tend to see my heart wandering? You know, it's usually a precursor of it is grumbling. That's important. Or I'll tell you, for me one of them is it's a lack of diligence in in physical things when I see myself hitting the snooze button skipping exercise and making poor eating choices it usually is a precursor that I am giving in to the desires of the flesh so part of training myself for godliness is, is that that may or may not apply to you but it's for me a canary in the coal mine is hitting the snooze button as silly as that is, that that may not affect you, but write write something, or it's it's social media use. When I when I know I should be reading, opening up Logos, I go to Twitter or whatever. Uh, fill in the blank for you what it is, and then um, before the Lord, use this to, to shepherd, guard your heart, and, and please in, in, involve somebody else, spouse. Uh, wellspring group leader, uh, etc. So I am out of time. So I am going to uh, to pray, and then you can go to your wellspring groups. God, I I pray that there was a lot of information here, and we are used to a lot of information at this church, a lot of good information. And I I pray that this. Message would bear fruit in the lives of my hearers and in my life. That we would, above all else, guard our hearts to you. As our hearts are the wellspring of our life, God, we, please don't let us fall away from you. God, keep us. We know that that we would not possibly be able to shepherd our hearts if you hadn't made them new in the gospel and God if you don't sustain us in this if, if, if it's not by your spirit that we seek to uh, to do this if it if it weren't for grace we would ruin these new hearts as well but we know that you are both the author and the perfecter of our faith so God, do that i pray that you would sanctify us keep us diligent to pursue you to honor you to obey you and i pray that you would use uh, this message and the fruit that comes from it as the means of glorifying you with our lives in jesus name we pray amen